Amen. Well, we are uh, in uh, Leviticus. We are in chapter 15. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to be talking about uh, God's holiness. And uh, one thing that we know that uh, for us as Christians, you know, when it comes to us as believers, you know, we know that we can all approach God at any time. You know, I think that uh, sometimes we may lose sight of who God is because we have such an open door policy, right? There's nothing that separates us from the Lord. There's nothing that, that comes in between. And God tells us, you know what, to come to Him, to approach Him at any time. And it is because of God's grace that we can approach Him at any time. You know, it is because of God's grace that we can come into His presence. And that is what is so amazing. You know, but when we think about this, right, what happens, you know, when we approach God? We know one thing that every single one of us, right, we know that we're sinners. And we know that when, as we are in our flesh, that we, when we are still in this body, we know that we still have sin, right? That there is still sin that we do and, 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 and that we don't want to do, but we end up doing it. As sinners, can we still approach God? I think many of us know that answer, and if you don't know that answer, the answer is yes. We can all approach God at any time, even though we're in our sinful nature. And that is because of our faith in Christ. That is because He paid the penalty for our sins. You know, there is nothing that separates us from God. That is what's so amazing. There is nothing that separates you or I from God. Anytime we come in prayer, anytime we're, 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 we're thinking about Him, we're in His presence. And actually, you know what? He comes to dwell in us when we receive Jesus. See, and that's what's so amazing about God is that when He sees us, you know, He sees the righteousness of Christ on us. You know, when, God, when Jesus Christ paid that penalty, when He died on that cross, when He was there crucified, he took on upon our sins. All of our sins were placed upon him. And he paid the penalty. And that's what gives us the right to stand before God. You know, he did the work. He finished that work on the cross. I want to give you an illustration of this. You know, have you guys ever gone to a place where you could get in because of somebody that you know? You know, I know I've been places and... And, you know, I'm with somebody that, that's pretty important. And, you know, or I know somebody. And, and, you know what, I'm able to get into these places, right, because of who I know. And see, and that's the same way it is with the Lord, right? You know what, we can get into heaven. We can stand in the presence of God because of who we know. But does God's nature change in any way because of our presence? You know, because we know that we're sinners, right? Does God's nature change in any way? The answer to that is no. There is no way that God's nature, that His holiness would ever change, even when we're in His presence. You know, God is who He is, and He never changes. You know, when it comes to, to, uh, to, to people that we know, you know, when it comes to to friends, you know, we may, I have a friend, right? I have a, actually my boss who used to be my boss there in my secular job. You know, him and I were best of buddies when we used to work at a place there in Alhambra. We used to work at a bank in Alhambra. And him and I were close, very close in, yeah, as friends. And when he, when I went into uh, BMW as he was there first and and when he hired me, even though we were friends, you know, he, re, he became my boss. And just because of our friendship, that didn't take away who his position was, who he was to me. And that's the same way it is with God. Even though God and, and, and us, even though we're friends, it doesn't take away who he is. He remains holy and he remains righteous and he is God. You know, when it comes to us, and I want to talk about this because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes our friendship with God, sometimes we forget and we lose sight of who He is. And because 
we are friends, it doesn't take away the fact that he is God and how we are to look at him and how we are to approach him. We must always regard God as holy. He must be holy and he is holy and he must be regarded that way. Have you ever heard people say, and I just heard this a few days ago, I have a bone to pick with God. We hear that, don't we, at times? It's that people are annoyed with, you know, with God because of things that are happening, and it's not even God's fault, right? A lot of it has been caused by our sin, right? And people get angry at God, and they get annoyed at God, and they say, you know what, I have a bone to pick with Him. You know, they're disappointed at what life has dished out, and, and they blame it, they, look, they, they blame God for it. See, what happens there is that they forget to regard God as holy. They forget to regard God for who he is. See, they begin to look at God as God is anyone that's common, anyone like you and I. See, and God is nowhere close to what you and I are. See, he's holy and he's righteous, and there's no way that he is in any way uh, uh, um, similar to us and to our nature. You know, when I think about this, when I've thought about this study, and I was thinking to myself, you know what, when men in the Bible, when they approach God, what is it that they did? You know, and I think many of us have heard of these men that have approached God, and they've seen God in his throne room, right? As Nancy sang that song, I can only imagine, how are we going to be when we're in his presence? We have an idea of this. And we have an idea because when we see the men that come into the presence of God, what is it that they do? Job. Job is actually older than Abraham, right? And Job, you know, when he saw God, when he heard the Lord speak, you know what he did? He repented and he hated himself. You know, it was him too, right? He had a bone to pick with God. He couldn't understand all of these things that, that were happening in his life. And he, repent, he repented for questioning God. And you know what? And he hated himself. You know, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1.28, when Ezekiel goes into the throne room of God, you know what he does? He fell to his face. He fell to his face. We see a similar reaction by John in Revelation 1.17. When he sees the Lord himself, he also fell to the Lord's feet. And when we think about Paul, you remember Paul went to the third heaven? Paul spoke of himself in the third person because he never wanted to boast in anything that was, that was of Paul, right? And he saw the, he saw the Lord in, the, in his throne. And he didn't want to boast about it. And he also, because of that, because he didn't want to boast of himself, he referred to himself even as the third person. Can you believe that? And when he refers to himself as a third person, you know all he could reflect on was on his sinful nature. You know, that's what we see here, people, right? And, and I want to go actually, I want to show you how somebody else reacts. And many of us know this account, but let us all open up to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to go over the first five verses. And why don't I begin to read them to you? In Isaiah chapter 6, the first five verses, Isaiah sees the vision of the Lord. He sees the Lord in his throne room. And we're going to talk about this. Let's begin to read in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the, uh, the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let's keep reading in verse 6. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand the live coal which he had taken with the thongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your inequity is taken away and your sin purged. So as we go through this, right, as we see there in verse 1, we see that God has revealed himself. The Lord has revealed himself to Isaiah. You know, he's revealed his throne room to Isaiah. And somehow, we don't know how this happened, but Isaiah went into this spiritual realm. He was out of his physical realm because in the physical, this is what you and I see, right? We are in the physical realm. You see me, I see you. You're sitting on a chair. You know, you see everything around us. This is the physical realm. But somehow Isaiah was taken into the spiritual realm. He is actually in heaven's throne room. Isn't that amazing? He's in the throne room of heaven. And what's the first thing that he sees? He sees the train of his robe that filled the temple. He saw the Lord on the throne and his train, his robe, the train of his robe filled the temple. Imagine this sight. I mean, it must have been just an, an amazing sight, something just that was just beyond, I mean, what, what he had ever seen. And then verse 2, it tells us that he sees seraphim angels. He sees them around the throne. And as he sees them, he sees that they're covering what? Their faces, their feet, and with the wings they're flying. So with the wings they're covering their face and their feet, and they're flying. And as we see there, they're crying out to one another, right? And what are they saying as they're crying out? Holy, holy, holy. What does this mean? Holy, holy, holy. You know, as we think about this, right? When you repeat something, it expresses, you know, what, 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 you're, what you're saying, right? I mean, if you say it three times, it's expressing completeness. So what... I, what these angels are expressing is completeness, right? They're expressing the complete holiness of God. And as we think about this, right? He says it three times. And as he repeats, as the angels, as the seraphim angels are repeating it three times, guess who they're worshiping? The Holy Father. The Holy Son. And the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what is going on here, right? It speaks of the triune God. And as we keep seeing this, right? As the angels cry to one another, the posts of the door were shaken. The doors of the temple were shaken. And they were shaking as what? As they were crying out, right? As the angels were crying out, the post, the temple, was shaken. And also, it was filled with smoke. What could this smoke possibly be? Remember the, 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 the cloud of glory? It's possible that this would have been, what, the cloud of glory, right? 
the, the, the cloud that covered there, the throne room of God, the glory of God's presence was there. See, as this is showing us, you know, God's power, God's presence, God's glory. And so what does Isaiah say as he sees this, right? What is it that Isaiah says? He says, you know what? Woe is me. At the presence of the Lord, he says, woe is me. When somebody says woe, what are they trying to say? They're acknowledging that, man, that, you know what? That there's judgment coming, that something's coming to me, right? That is what woe means, an acknowledgement of judgment. Have you guys ever been caught at doing something? And what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Oh, no. Or you may say something else, right? I'm always saying, oh, no. See, it's the same expression, except, you know, we don't use the word woe these days, right? We begin now to use, oh, no, or, or some other type of phrase that acknowledges the same thing, that you've been caught, or that something that you're in trouble, or that something is coming upon you. But for Isaiah, why would he say this? As he tells us there, he says this because he is a man of unclean lips. He sees the holiness of God. See, this is what I want us to, to be, to walk away with understanding. Just because we have a friendship with God, just because we could walk into His presence, we could go into the throne room of God, we, were, we must never lose sight of His holiness. See, we tend as a people to forget about this, right? And some of us have, always say, you know what, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell the Lord how I feel. I just revealed every single man that has seen the Lord and how they reacted to God. They fell to their knees. They fell to their face. They humbled themselves. Every single man that sees the Lord humbles himself. Why is that? Because God is holy. See, we just can't approach God in any way that we want to approach Him. Just because He's our friend doesn't mean that, you know what, we can talk to Him in any way that we want. He is still God. And this is what the Lord wants to reveal to us, that we must regard Him as holy. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 2, 10 and 11. He said that every knee shall bow, bow and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. As I shared with you, every man that has seen the Lord, they will bow their knees, they will fall to their knees, and they will confess with their mouth. This is what Isaiah was doing. This is what Paul did. You know, from Job to Abraham to Moses to Isaiah to Ezekiel to John to Paul, it's all the same. Because God is holy. And we must regard him as being holy. I want to give you some insight. Look at Isaiah 6.2. Even the seraphim angels, what did they do with, with one of their wings? They covered their face. They also were not looking at the Lord because of his holiness. Think of it that way. Even the angels, these seraphim angels, covered their faces. That's how holy God is. That's how holy they regarded them, that they couldn't even want to see him because of who he is. See, in our world today, as a people of God, we have come to losing a reverence for God and a respect for God. And yet the Lord wants us to regard him as holy always. And this is what the Lord wants to reveal to us. You know, we need to understand that God is holy, holy, holy. And when we stand in his presence... We must regard him as that. So what happened? Let's, say, let's talk about this. You know, as I've been talking about Job and Abraham, and I mentioned Isaiah and Ezekiel, these men, right? 
It was Jesus that reconciled man and God, right? I mean, he's the mediator, right? He brought us together. It was because of Jesus that we can have fellowship with God, right? When these men died, where did they go? Every single one of these men that died, right? When they passed on, when their lives were taken, when God said, you know what, your work is done, I'm taking you. They all went into Hades, right? And Hades, there was actually two parts of Hades. One was for those that rejected him, that sent themselves to hell because of the rejection of Jesus Christ. But then there was also another portion that was in Hades where those that believed in God, were those that surrendered themselves to him. See, what happened to these people is that before the Lord was crucified, he hadn't reconciled man and God. It was when he was crucified, remember, he went down to get those captives and he brought them into the presence of God. They could only be in God's presence after Jesus was crucified. And that's what he did. He went down and he set the captives free. He went down and he got the Old Testament saints and he put them in the presence of God because they had their sins had not been washed. Their sins had not been cleansed. Their sins had not been paid for. It only happened after Jesus did it. And after Jesus did it, that made the relationship between God and man, it reconciled it. It made them one. But you may ask, but you know what? How is it that these men, you know, Jesus hadn't been born, right? How is it that they could go into heaven if they didn't place their faith in Jesus Christ? See, what happens is that the God in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. See, the one that they would see was a pre-incarnate Christ. See, before he came in the flesh, this is who they were putting their faith in. This is who they were interacting with. And when they trusted in him and surrendered their lives to him, that's why they went into this holding place in Hades. Every single one of them, every single one of them needed their sins to be forgiven. They needed Jesus to pay for their sins. Here, as we read in Isaiah, and I wanted to read in verse, in, in verse 6, because as you see there, it says that, the fair, one of the seraphim angels flew to Isaiah, having a coal in his hand that he took from the altar. And he did, what he did is he touched Isaiah's mouth with this coal. And you may say, well, you know what? How is it that he can see the Lord, right? How is it that he can be in the presence of God if his sins hadn't been paid for, right? The seraphim angel took this coal from the altar of burnt offering or from the altar of incense. I would lean to say, because it doesn't tell us which altar it was from, but I would lean with the altar of burnt offering. And why would I say it's the altar of burnt offering? Because the altar of burnt offering was given, was, was done, because that is where they sacrificed animals, right? Remember, in the altar of burnt offering, the, the altar was the one that was used to sacrifice animals because the blood of the animals would cleanse, would cover their sins, I should say. And for him to stand in the presence, he took the coal from the altar and touched his lips. And because of that, as we see there, it says, your inequity is taken away and your sin is purged. You know, as we think about this, right, I only bring this up to you because today we're going to be talking about being ceremonially, ceremonially cleansed 
Okay, and I'm going to explain that to you. You're probably thinking, what am I talking about? <laughs> See, there were certain times when God said, you can approach me. And there were certain times when he says, you cannot approach me. And we're going to read about those. See, because when we talk about approaching, and I say these things because I want you to have a greater understanding of what we're talking about. Remember, I've been t at this time, they didn't have a temple, right? And, they didn't, and the only thing they had was that portable tabernacle, right? That went from place to place. And this tabernacle, in the tabernacle, they had a place called the Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. But around the Holy Place and Holy of Holies, there was a large gate. And that large gate was 150 feet by 45 feet. The priests were the only ones that could go into the tabernacle, I mean, into the Holy of Holies and into the Holy Place. That's where the Lord dwelled, right? The Lord was in the Holy of Holies. And they would be serving the Lord also in the Holy Place. Only the priests could go in there. So where is it that the people would go? They would go into the tabernacle, not the Holy of Holies or the Holy Place. They would go into where the, tent, uh, the, the, the walls were, the gate was. And the gate was made of material. And so this place was 150 feet by uh, 150 feet by 75 feet. And so that's where the people went. That was called the tabernacle. And so if you were in a certain condition, you couldn't go into the tabernacle. And only the priest went into the other place, okay? So when the Lord says, you cannot approach me, he's saying you cannot come into the tabernacle, that place that is 150 feet by 75 feet. And what I'm going to do next time is for you to have a better understanding of it. I need to show it on a slide for you. That way you know where people can go into and where they couldn't go into. And with that, let's begin to read now in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 1. And in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 1, it said there, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Okay, it's the Lord speaking to Moses and Aaron. He's not talking to anybody else. He's talking to Moses and Aaron, and he wants him to do something. And let's read in verse 2. It says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. Okay? So he's talking to the men here. Okay? And he's telling the men. He's saying, You know what? If you have a discharge from your body, you can't approach me. You can't go into the tabernacle. You can't come to me. What kind of discharge is he talking about? You know, for men to have discharges, that means that there may be some type of venereal disease, right? He's talking about like gonorrhea here. If there's any type of discharge, the Lord is saying, you know what? You guys stay out. You cannot approach me. You can't come into the tabernacle. Remember, God is holy, and that's why I explained all of this to you so that you can come into an understanding of how holy God is. And he's saying, if you have any type of discharge, you men, don't approach me. You got to stay out. Another type of discharge that the men can have is maybe diarrhea, right? You know, if you have these things that are going on within you, you stay away. You're... Ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. And, you know, I think most of us have had diarrhea and none of us like it, right? Even when your spouse or your kids know you have, or your family knows you have diarrhea, they're like, <laughs> Even we ourselves know, you know, it's not a, it's like, ugh. And none of us want to have diarrhea, right? I know, you know, you get it by food poisoning or, other things right and you're sick and so the lord says you know what whenever you have some sort of discharge whether it be from venereal disease like gonorrhea and we know how that can happen or diarrhea he says just just stay away it doesn't mean that they're going to hell it just means that they can't come into the tabernacle they can't worship him 
You know, they can't come into this place because God is holy. And any bodily discharge would make you unclean. And whether you're male or female, because we're going to cover all of this, right? The Lord is saying, whether you're male or female, if you have some sort of discharge, you can't approach me. And, but here we're addressing the men. So let's keep reading about the men. It says in verse 3, it says, And this shall be his uncleanness in, regards, in regard to his discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who sits on anything on which he who has the discharge sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who touches a body of him who has discharged shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Any saddle on which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that has under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has a discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. The vessel of earth that he who has a discharge touches shall be broken and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. So we see here. Not only is the person that has the discharge unclean, but anything that he touches shall also be unclean. And you know what unclean means? It means that you have to separate yourself from everyone. Because no matter what, if you come in contact with somebody, guess what? You're transferring your uncleanness to these people. Imagine if someone spit and you have, you know, somebody that's unclean and he ha someone has, happens to be walking by and he spits and it falls on him. This guy is saying, oh, man. <laughs> now I'm unclean. Now I can't go approach the Lord either. So that's why there was an isolation that needed to take place. Get out of here, right? If you're unclean, we don't want you around because we want to approach the tabernacle. We want to go approach the Lord. And so you had to, if you came in contact, you had to wash your clothes you had to wash yourself. You remained unclean until evening. He even said there, you know what? If he touches any clay vessels, you got to break those. Imagine. You got to break them. But if he touches any wooden vessels, those, you know what? You would wash those. See, again, as we see, we see we have an eye view, an understanding that of how uncleanness spreads, right? It's the same way why the Lord tells us, right? Don't be hanging out with the world, right? He says, you know what? You know what? Don't be hanging out with somebody that doesn't have good morals. Why? Because he knows that, you know what? It's going to fall upon us, right? Bad company, his word says, corrupts good morals, good habits. They rub off on you. Who is it that, you know what, when you start hanging out with people that are of the world or people like at your jobs or people at, you know, at other locations, you start sort of acting like them sometimes, right? Then you catch yourself and you're like, man, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to be like them, right? Because that's the spirit of God checking you. He's telling you, stop acting like them. Separate yourself from them. You can talk to them, but don't be hanging out with them because you're going to become like them. Why is it that he tells us to don't be unequally yoked? You know what? Don't marry a non-believer because he knows it's going to be it's going to be it's going to bring problems in your marriage. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to present some problems. 
You know, for those that married into this, I mean, before you knew the Lord, you didn't know any better, right? Or you were also the world, and, and now you become what? You become part of the family of God. So, you know what? And we see many today that are having challenges with their spouses, right? Because they're unequally yoked. One has given themselves to the Lord, and the other one hasn't. <laughs> I heard a preacher the other day, and I shared it with, uh, with, uh, with a brother here. You know what? He was sharing something, and, and I, you know, it just came to my mind right now, and I, it brought me a chuckle, so I have to share it with you. And it's about women, right? It's about, you know what? It's about women that are married to, to a non-believer. And, you know, it talks about how he was sharing that, you know, women... When it comes to submitting to their husbands, they always have a problem in doing that, right? You know what? The husband will tell them what to do, and they argue, and they fight over it, and they're like, no, I don't want to do that, and I shouldn't do that, and, and why do I have to do that? And you know what? That's just something in, in your women, right, to your husbands. It's just part of your sinful nature. You know, the Lord is still working in you. But it comes to some, it happens to some women though, that when their husbands tell them not to go to church, they have no problem in submitting to that. You don't submit to them in anything else, but when it comes to church, some women are glad to submit. It doesn't make sense. But that's the way it is, right? But I'm glad there's, there's many women here that you know what, that have found a relationship with the Lord and, and they keep coming. And we know that as they keep coming and they keep growing, that as First Peter says, that their husbands will come to the Lord because of their godly behavior, because of the changes that have happened in them. And we pray for them. But as we're talking here, it's just a reminder you know, but also the other thing that why the Lord would want the pots and the, and the clay pots and the wooden to be cleansed is, you know what? When people have infection, what happens? It spreads easily, doesn't it? And this is what the Lord was trying to avoid here too is, you know what? Break these things, wash them. So are they forever rejected? No, let's keep reading in verse 13. It says, And when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, and bathe his body in running water. Then he shall be clean. On the eighth day, he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And give to them, and give them to the priests. Then the priests shall offer them, the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. You know what's so awesome is that the Lord brings healing to our body, right? And many times we always go to thinking that, you know what, it's the doctors that have healed us or it's medicine that have healed us. Ultimately, it's, it's the Lord, right? And the Lord, through his grace and through his amazing work, you know, he brings healing to people. And those men that have these discharges, when they're healed, they go through the rite of purification. And what is that? I mean, as we see there, he first has to what? He first has to wait a week, right? After he's been healed, he still has to wait a week. He's still separated from others, right? To make sure that what? That he's healed, right? He washes his clothes and he washes himself but it says there on the eighth day he can make atonement for himself and let's see if you all have a good memory what does the number eight mean new beginning as a reminder the number eight symbolizes new beginning so on the eighth day he says here he says you know what it's time to make atonement for you and so he presents a less expensive offering, a less expensive sacrifice, because we know that the leper, you know, he had to bring lambs, right? And he was, as we know that he was separated, but 
we see here that, you know, the offering for this discharge is of less degree, so he, he brings less expensive animals, which are two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And one will be a burnt offering and the other one a sin offering. And so, you know what? After he does this, he can once again approach God. He can once again come into the tabernacle. And so with that, let's keep reading in verse 16. It says, If a man has an emission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until evening. And any garment and any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, when a woman lies with a man and there is an emission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So we see here that emission of semen makes him unclean. Remember, discharges of any sort makes a man, and we will go over the women, ceremonially unclean. See, the Lord can't be partial, right? He says any discharge makes you unclean. And so here, whether it be a nocturnal emission, meaning it's, it comes out at night, or whether there's emission during intercourse, it makes you unclean. I want you to understand one thing. The Lord is not saying, you know, having sex with your spouse is unclean. You know, he's saying that Again, any type of discharge makes you ceremonially unclean. As a reminder, didn't he say that married couples are to multiply and to fill the earth, right? So there is in no way that he is saying that, you know what? That he is saying that having sex in marriage is, is bad. See, God created us to multiply. And he created us to have godly offspring. And that is why he wants husbands and wives and Christians to, be, to have babies so that we can continue to be the salt and the light of this world. But as he says there, uh, that if she happens, or, he, or I'm sorry, that if he has this discharge, he didn't tell them, as you can see, to take two birds or two, uh, two turtle doves or two pigeons. He told them all they had to do was wash themselves. Wash themselves and they would be unclean until evening. There was no sacrifice for sin because there is no sin in sex. But he, uh, of course, between a husband and a wife. And there was no atonement that was needed for that. All he says is just wash them because remember, any type of discharge makes you ceremonially unclean. So let's read in verse 19. It says, If a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If, everything, if anything is on her bed or, anything, or on anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if a man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him he shall be unclean seven days and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean okay so we're gonna talk now to the women so any natural discharge which is your period right that's what we're talking about that's what he's talking about a natural discharge your monthly period makes you ceremonially unclean and you're unclean for seven days, okay? So, during this time, you had to be careful where you slept, right? You had to be careful where you sat. You had to be careful what you touched, because whatever you touched, whatever you slept on, if someone else touched it, 
and make them also unclean, right? That means that you have to be separated from everybody, right? You have to be sort of taken away from everybody so that you don't cause anyone else to be unclean. And so as we think about this, right, it's for seven days. What is it that the Lord wants you to do during this time? He wants you to rest. Isn't that what's so awesome about the Lord? How many of you have these bad menstrual cycles, right? These bad periods, right? And as we know that they would have had them back then. And so this is a time for you to just rest on your own, be on your own, so that, you know what, your husbands don't have to, you know, interact with you or force you to do some things, right? You know, as we know that your husbands irritate you during these times. And so we see here that even if he had sex with you during this time, it would make him unclean. And you know, if it makes him unclean, you know what happens? He has to be separated for seven days. Him too, so he doesn't want to do this. And we know that's why these Jewish people, they were having babies left and right because they wouldn't, you know, to wait during these seven days. They were excited when their wife was off their period. And so when they were off their period, they would be with them and they would have what? Babies. So as we see here, you know, God has a purpose for everything. And, and as we see here, God is awesome because during this period, he wants you to be what? To be resting. Let's keep reading as we're in verse uh, 25. It says, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as a bed of her impurity, and whatever she sits on shall be unclean, as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons, and bring them to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall offer the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. Now these are unnatural discharges, right? This is like a hemorrhaging that a woman can have. Okay, we know that there's some women that constantly bleed, right? I mean... This happens. This is something that, that happens. And we know that it is physically painful. But at this time, for a Jewish woman, it would be spiritually terrible. Again, it doesn't make her, you know, it doesn't condemn her, but she just couldn't go into the tabernacle because she was ceremonially unclean. And so we do know of this. Because it happened also in the Bible, right? Do you remember the woman that had a hemorrhaging? She was always bleeding for 12. Well, let's go there. In Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, we know of a woman that had a hemorrhaging. And this hemorrhaging happened for 12 years. In other words, she was bleeding for 12 years. Imagine how painful that would have been. And, you know... It's not a good thing. So we see here in, in verse 25 of chapter 5 that it says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. So she was hemorrhaging for 12 years and had suffered, in other words, much sorrow, many things from many physicians. So in other words, she went to many doctors and no one was able to to bring healing upon her. 
And then it says, and she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So in other words, she spent all the money that she had, every dime that she saved up, she spent it on trying to get better. But in verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? In other words, all these people are around you and they're touching you. Everyone's touching you. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Again, you see this falling down before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. What I love about this is, as we read in verse 28, she had awesome faith, this lady, right? For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. She knew that by coming to Jesus, her faith was going to bring healing upon her. And as we see there that Jesus confirms this and says, your faith has made you well. This is awesome. You know what? I know myself, and I know there's many others out there. Just like this woman, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, there is an immediate healing. Isn't that awesome that that happens? I know what happened to me. You know, I know when I said yes to Jesus Christ, I was healed of many of the things that held me captive. And I no longer wanted to live these things out, but all I wanted to do was to please my Lord. There's others that it doesn't happen immediately as we know that some things take their time. But as we see here, here's an example of an instant healing from God. And God works things in different ways. But one thing that we know is that we must continue to walk in faith. And we must continue to allow Him to bring healing to our lives because we know that by his stripes, we are what? We are healed. And let's finish as we go back to Leviticus because we're going to finish now. You know, we do know one thing is that this, these women that would hemorrhage at this time, they also would go through the rite of purification, which came from two turtle doves and two pigeons for their sin and the burnt offering, which would make an atonement for their uncleanness. And let's finish with verses 31 and 30 through 33. It says, Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law for one who has a discharge, and for him who emits semen and is unclean thereby, and for her who is indisposed because of her customary impurity, and for one who has a discharge, either man or woman, and for him who lies with her who is unclean. Again, the Lord reminds him of his holiness, right? And what he's saying is, you know what? During the time of discharge, you guys are unclean. You know what? You can't approach me in the tabernacle because I am holy and you must regard me as holy, and your discharges has, have made you unclean. For us as Christians, isn't it awesome that we have been born during the outpouring of His grace? For us that have surrendered ourselves to Jesus Christ, as I began earlier, we can approach God at any time, in any way, in any fashion, whether we have a discharge, whether we don't. See, we have that access 
because we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And because of this blood, because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, we can approach God at any time, in any condition. But one thing that we never want to forget is that God is holy. This is his message today. Never to look at him as common. Never to say, you know what, I got a bone to pick with you, God. Never to be angry at God. You know why? Because we see men as they saw God. What did they do? They fell to their knees. They dropped to their knees. They covered their faces. They saw how impure and how unclean they were. See, if we regard God as holy, if we come to that place of understanding that he is holy, then we will also desire to be as he is, won't we? See, if you look as God, at God as being common and you lose sight of who he is, that he is God, then you know what? Then you're also going to live your life as one of sin, right? You're going to be like, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter. Because if I, my view of God is being like any other man, then I could be like any other man. But if you look at God as being holy, then you will also live lives of holiness because you want to please him. And I'm going to finish with one final verse if we go to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and I apologize, I know many of you closed your Bibles. But I want you to walk away with this final scripture. In verse 13 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. See, this is what God wants from us. If we look at him as being holy, we will also live lives of holiness. The problem is, as I mentioned before, that people have lost sight of who God is. People have lost sight on the fact that he is holy and that he desires in us the same as he is. And you know what's so amazing? As I keep sharing with you, that's why he has given you his Holy Spirit to help you, to empower you, to equip you, to live a life of holiness. Because without his Holy Spirit, we could not live these holy lives. He knows that we are weak that our flesh is weak, but his spirit is strong. And if we rest in his spirit, and if you yield to the spirit of God, you will live lives that are pleasing to the master, to our Lord. And with that, we will close. Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you, Lord, for a reminder to all of us today, Lord, to regard you as holy, as you told us in Leviticus 10, chapter, in chapter 10, verse 3. To regard you as holy, for you are holy. As we approach you, Lord, we must regard you as holy, because you are. And if you are holy, your desire is for us to be the same. Lord, I thank you for your glorious word, Lord. I thank you for the revelation of your word to us all, including myself. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you want to hold nothing back from us, Lord. 
Your desire is that we would know everything about you. Let us walk away from this place knowing and understanding that you are holy, Lord. Knowing and understanding, Lord, that you want us to be as you are. If there are any here that have lost sight of God's holiness, if there are any here that have looked at God as common and you want to make things right with him because your desire is to live a life that is pleasing to him, now is that time to make things right with him. If you want to do this, I ask that you would just raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen, 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 amen. 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 Lord, you saw these hands that went up, Lord. Their desire, Lord, is, is to have a reverence for you. To know that you are righteous and holy, Lord. Because we know in return we will also live that way. You are not common. You are not man, but you are God. You are the first and the last. You are the great I am. Lord, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Empower them by your spirit. Reveal these things by your spirit. Check them, Lord, when they lose sight of your holiness, Lord. Convict them, Lord. Convict us all, Lord. Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you. We, th we praise you. We thank you, Lord. Be glorified in and through our lives, Lord. We just saw today, Lord, through the scriptures, how glorious you are, Lord. As Isaiah went into your throne room, even the temple shook, Lord. Even the angels covered their eyes, Lord, because you are holy, Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you, Lord. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We could stand for the